Mother's Day makes me nervous because I never feel up to the task of showing appreciation uh, to our mothers because it's so overwhelming. But we look for any opportunity to render thanks to God uh, for our mothers. And we love the opportunity to point out to the rest of society and to our young people uh, godly examples of mothers doing it right. And we love the opportunity to challenge and inspire and encourage uh, our mothers who are in the midst of bringing up um, uh, their families. A lot of great stories about mothers. Do you remember a good story about your mother? Maybe even a funny story or an interesting story? I can tell you one that always jumps out in my mind. I probably shared it already. But it always jumps out in my mind. I'm, I'm a little old sixth grader, Jasper Middle School. Mom, mom would let my brother off at the elementary school, and then she would drive to the middle school and let me off, and then she'd drive to the high school and let my sister off. Three different spots and across the city. At the middle school, which went from sixth grade to eighth grade, sometimes, and I think you understand what I'm talking about here without me saying it, sometimes there were dudes there who ought to be up in the 10th and 11th grade. You see what I'm talking about? But they're still there in middle school, and they are dudes. They are big. One morning, about 7.30, she drops me off, and, and I'm getting out, and I'm walking toward the door. And one of these dudes is in front of the door, and he's not letting anybody in. He's making all the little kids go all the way around to the other side of the building and use that door. Well, as I approach the situation, all of a sudden from the back toward the car, I hear my mother's voice. She simply said, you better move. And that dude jumped out of the way faster (laughs) than you could ever. I mean, as if he was standing on a snake. And he asked me, the dude asked me as I walked in, he said, who's that? I said, that's my mom. He said, whoa. <laughs> For those who don't know my mom personally, her great-grandmother was a full-blooded Cherokee Indian. And she, that comes out of her. Uh, still does. I was reading in Reader's Digest the other day, and I ran upon a little funny mom story. It was a beautiful fall day and autumn day and um, this young lady was very busy with her family but she gets a call. Her mom, the mom's mom, has taken a rather hard fall and so she, she goes to get her mom and takes her mom to the emergency room to get her checked out. She's okay but she needs to get checked out. And so they get her checked in and then they sit down to wait And they had put around her mom's wrist, as you know, identification, but also another little band that said fall risk. Fall risk. 
And the mother's mother looked at her and said, I will have them to know that I'm also a risk during spring, summer, and winter. (laughs) You probably have a tremendous amount of stories that come up to your mind about your own family, your mom. But we want to glean a few principles from godly mothers we find in the Bible. So let's... Let's notice just a few of these principles as we try to encourage one another this morning. Principle number one is that moms must see their need for salvation. Principle number one, moms must see their personal need for salvation. I take you over to Luke chapter 1, about verse 43. Mary has found out you know, all the good news from Gabriel. She goes off to see her relative, Elizabeth, who's expecting. She's further along in her expectations. She's going to eventually give birth to John the Baptist. But as she comes in and greets uh, Elizabeth, uh, the babe in Elizabeth's womb jumps, leaps for joy. And then um, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she says to Mary, Blessed are you among women... And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now stop right there for a second. The one that Elizabeth has within her belly is going to be quite a man himself. But Elizabeth recognizes that the one who will be coming through Mary is the one. Is the one. That's why she said, blessed are you among women, Mary. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. But then Luke one forty three, I want us to notice what Elizabeth said. She said, and how is it that I am granted today that the mother of my Lord would come and visit me? In other words, Elizabeth is saying, how is it I have been gifted today that the mother of my Lord, notice how she puts that, would grant me a visit. She, Elizabeth, a mom, a godly mom sees her need of Jesus the Lord. Mary would be the mother of my Lord. Notice how Elizabeth, though very fine mom in all respects, sees her need, sees that she herself is a sinner, and she sees her need of the Lord. Go on down Luke one forty six and see that Mary breaks out in the song. After hearing this, Mary breaks out into a song. Luke one forty six. she says, My soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in, notice this, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the importance of the soul and how it is the soul. Our body is a tool. It is the soul that brings forth all the life from us. With our spirit or soul, we know With our spirit or soul, we grieve. Notice here with Mary, she says, With my soul, I magnify the Lord. With my soul, I rejoice. And what's she rejoicing in? She rejoices in God, her Savior. God, her Savior. Mary also with Elizabeth recognizes that they too are sinners. They too are sinners. And they need a Savior. And they recognize Jesus being that, that very one, the Savior. Moms are special. 
We can go all day long about how special moms are to us, how special the role is. It is indeed true. It's amazing how much we depend on our moms. The, the more a family expands, the more that is laid upon mom. Mom, can you do this? Mom, I need you to do this. But first of all, moms, though everyone depends on moms, moms must first depend upon the Lord. Moms must first see their need of salvation. It does wonders for the family. Just think about Mary here. Can you think of a more special mom than Mary? She is chosen by the Lord to bring Jesus into the world. She carries Jesus. She gives birth to Jesus. She nurses him. She trains him. She brings him up. She teaches him. And yet that is not automatic salvation for her because she must also personally see that she's a sinner and she's in need of God, her Savior, as well. I think this particular ideal will do more good for a family than you can think of. I know there's a lot of books that are written for moms. If you were to Google books for moms, you'll find recipe books. You'll find books about special clothing for moms. You'll, you'll find books about how to do this and that with your children or how to regain your life, whatever, whichever direction you want to go. But I think this ideal right here, that a mom sees her personal need of Jesus and salvation, sees herself as a sinner herself, will do more good for her children, her husband, and for all those within her influence than any book that might be sold on the market. By the way, us as parents, we need to take a little um, warning from this. It is true, parents, we know this, moms and dads, we know this, that it's very important for us to be a godly example for our children, but not to the point to where mom and dad never does anything wrong. You get this? Be a godly example, but not to don't don't express yourself and don't don't act like and don't communicate to your children that mom and dad never does anything wrong. We do not want our children to be carbon copies of us. We want them to serve the Lord. In order to do that, they must see we ourselves are in desperate need of Jesus as our Savior, as anybody else. Okay, you do no harm to your influence by being. This sort of home, having this sort of humility uh, in life. It's what you ought to be, but it does no damage to your influence with your kids. In fact, it, it enhances your influence. Think about John for a minute, the Apostle John. And you could easily argue he's one of the greatest men who's lived since the time of Jesus, great apostle of love. But notice what he says in 1 John 2 1 and 2. He says, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the entire world. John puts himself right there in the same boat. We need Jesus because we have our sins. Notice John again, 1 John 1 and in verse number 8, he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You do no harm to your influence by Simply letting your children see that you have this desperate need of salvation yourselves. It's very, very central 
to who we are. And so I encourage parents to be real, to be real with your children. You, you want to be a good godly example. You don't want to be corrupt on purpose, but you, we must express that need for of the Lord. This can come out in your prayers at home as you ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins and forgive us of our weaknesses, forgive us when we do wrong, forgive us when we say things we ought not to say, forgive us for not working harder for the Lord. That can come out in your prayers and your children will pick up on that. This can come out at home also by talking to your children about how important the day of your baptism was, how huge that was. And go back to that again and again and again. That day, that occasion, what brought you to that point? And go over that again and again. And this will relate to the children just how important salvation really is. And also at home we need to express in our prayers and in our regular conversations how important the compassion and the grace and the mercy and the long-suffering of God is to us. All those things ought to just flow out of our mouth very naturally because that's who we are. So first, first principle, moms must see their personal need for salvation. Second principle, principle number two, is this, that we learn from godly moms. Godly moms in scripture. We learn that God's spiritual family always takes precedence over our physical families. That's principle number two. God's spiritual family always ranks in superiority. It's superior in rank. It takes precedence over our physical families. Again, Jesus teaches this. Mark chapter 3, 31 to 34, or Matthew 12, 46 to 50, but he teaches this. It's the encounter that never happened. It's the encounter that never happened. Jesus is teaching in a place and people are sitting around him and listening to him and his mother and brothers, his family's outside wanting to just have a word with him and the people sitting close to Jesus naturally say, your mother and your, your family's outside, they need to speak to you. And Jesus takes this opportunity, as you remember, to teach a very important lesson. He says, you want to see my family? He asks the question, who is my mother, who, who, are, who are my brothers, who are my sisters? And then he points out, everyone who does the will of God, those same ones, they're my mothers and they're my brothers and they are my sisters. And Jesus is not disavowing family. He's not showing an uncaring attitude and we are not either by just pointing this out. But rather, he is pointing out that God's duty... Duty to God takes precedence over everything else. And that's another tremendous principle for moms to take into their families and to have living and breathing uh, in, in their families. Now, as I was talking about the dudes a minute ago at school, I had a tremendous fun upbringing. I think I did. Nobody ever told us any different. That, that we were, I never was told that we were supposed to be sad or depressed or think about ourselves. We just dealt with things. and We had a tremendous, just fun time, both at home and school. And, and the guys at school, a lot of them were, were men of color, young men of color. They were more uh, black guys. 
at my middle school and high school, then there were uh, us other, they called us homies. They called us homies. And so um, sometimes uh, two of us homies would come walking into the room and they would say, hey, homie. Are you? And they would say, are you two, you two are kin, aren't you? You, you two are kin. And we say, well, what makes you say that? And they say, well, you look a lot. You look like each other and you act like each other. And we'd say, same to you. You look like each other and you act like each other. And so then we go wrestle in the floor and we get back up and we're good. <laughs> but I hadn't heard that in a while. Are, are you kin to somebody? I used to hear that a lot. Are you kin to this person? Are you two kin? There's a thousand ways to say it, but certainly this is the way, one way of saying it. Spiritual kinship, which comes from obeying God, ranks much more highly than our physical relationships. The heavenly relationships that we get by serving God take precedence over any earthly relationships that we may have. And Jesus gives us a very important point in Matthew chapter 10, 37 and 39. And I believe this verse ought to be one of those who's, that's, that's posted in the house, that's on the refrigerator, that's written. How, how long has it been since you've done this, moms? Give your kids a marker and let them write on the mirror in the, in the restroom, in the bathroom at home. Let them write on the mirror. Let them write out Bible verses. Let them write out this one, Matthew chapter 10, 37 through 39. Jesus said, He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that does not take up his cross and follow me every day is not worthy of me. He that tries to find his life shall lose it, but he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. This is what, this is what directs a mother's heart. This is what directs a godly family. How do you make this happen? It's just simple. It's just simply... Uh, put it has to come out in your daily life. It has to it has to be part. Uh, it has to be ingrained into your habits. That is the spiritual family, the spiritual family, the church. It has to be ingrained into our family. It has to be ingrained to our habits. Okay. I think I may have mentioned before uh, one of our elders growing up at Curry Church of Christ out near Smith Lake. His name was Bruce Myers. And he would say this, but the reason that um, us older guys begin to repeat things is because we, don't, we want people to remember the important things after we're dead and gone. And so he would repeat this often. He, he, would, say, he would say, you know, serving God is, is not a decision I make every day. He would say, uh, going to church is not a decision I make on Sunday morning. And then he would say, going to church and serving God was a decision I made when I came out of, when I came up from the baptismal waters at age 18. I can remember him saying that a thousand times. And that's so very true. That's how ingrained it ought to be into our conversations. The spiritual family of God ought to be ingrained in our conversations, our habits, we ought to talk to our children about the announcements at church, talk to our children about 
the happenings at church, talk to our children long before Sunday morning, talk to them about what's coming up and why we're going to church. These things will pay great uh, dividends uh, for us. We are part of the family. Now, while we're right here, how does one become part of the spiritual family of God? Well, if you look at John chapter 1, 10 through 13, Jesus, uh, it was reported about Jesus that, that even though he came into his own, many did not receive him. But those who did receive him, those who did believe in him, were given the right to become children of God. That's verse 12. That's a very important verse. Those who believe and receive Jesus are given the right. In other words, they're put in a good position, the perfect position to go ahead and obey the Lord and become children of God. Now that believing and receiving there in verse 12 does not make them children of God. That's where our religious friends kind of go astray. That doesn't make them, but it puts them in a good position, gives them the right, the power to become children of God. Verse 13 goes on to say, we are born of God, not of the flesh, nor from the will of man, but by the will of God. And all we have to do then is just jump over a couple chapters of John 3 and listen to Jesus talk to Nicodemus about being born again through water and the Spirit. And one can become part of God's uh, spiritual family. Or you can jump all the way over to Galatians 3, 26 and 27 and see that we are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of us as were baptized into Christ uh, did uh, put on Christ. We want everybody to be part of God's spiritual family. It is the most important. Jesus point, pointed it out clearly for us, didn't he? He pointed it out clearly. This takes precedence over every other relationship on earth. So principle number two is God's spiritual family takes precedence over his physical, our physical families. Principle number three is this. Jesus' work of saving souls is also, moms, moms, is also our number one work in the world. You probably won't see this in a, in a book sold on Amazon for mothers, but it is here. It is here. We glean this from Luke chapter 2. You remember the situation, verses 41 to 52, Luke 2. 41 to 52, you remember the situation, Jesus' family going to Passover time, Jesus age 12, they're there, there's a separation, they begin to travel home, the family clan begins to travel home, Jesus is not with them, they find that out, they go back, they search for him. They find him after three days of, of searching, or a total of three days in the search, they find Jesus, what's he doing, he's at, in the temple area. He's answering questions about scripture. He's asking questions about scripture. He's right there in the midst of the premier scholars of that day. There you go. Now, the response of the parents is quite normal. They are very distressed. And we have all been there. We've all been there. At the old building several years ago, after AM dismissal, we're all standing around. There's just a few cars left, and we're just standing around, but there is no Anna Kate Barker. She is not here. She is not around. And we begin to search, and she's not anywhere. She's not in classrooms. She's not outside. She's not in the restrooms. 
And so for about two and a half minutes, there was severe panic among some. And then we found her up in the front rooms next to Sister Little. And she's just helping clean up communion supplies with Sister I think it's Sister Little that's back there doing that. So she's not doing anything wrong other than the fact that she just struck fear into her parents' hearts. And Lee, Ken, have you related back there in the class that you were actually left at church one time? Yeah, his parents went home, left him laying on the pew. They, they remembered him later. That explains a lot about Ken nowadays. Okay. It explains, explains everything you know, need to know. Because, okay. So the reaction of Jesus' parents here is quite normal, but Jesus' reaction and response back to them is not normal. Okay. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, sorry, I should have told you. He doesn't say, sorry, I don't know what I was thinking, you know. Or he didn't doesn't do like a lot of kids. He didn't say, uh, sorry, I don't know why I did that. You know, I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know why did you do that. I don't know. Jesus doesn't say any of that. Jesus has a couple questions for them. How is it that you sought me, he said. Did you not know I must be about my father's business? My father's house. Okay. In other words, Jesus is saying to Mary and to Joseph, He's saying, My real father has me on assignment. And I am about doing his assignment. At age 12, he already realized he has a real father. He has a family, but he has another mission on earth. And notice he says, I must be about this. This is a heavenly compulsion. This is a heavenly imperative. He doesn't have an option on this. This is an urgent constraint from the Father, the Almighty God. He must be about this. That's the idea of the word must. Do we carry the word must with us? I believe Mary does from this point on. I think Luke 2.51 says she treasured this in her heart. Mary, if she had not instilled this into her family, she begins so from that point on. Do we carry this must, this must business? For another reference, look at Luke 4.43 where Jesus had been in the area of Nazareth, Capernaum. But he's about to head to other cities. People say, why are you leaving? We don't really want you to leave. You know, they're starting to get into what Jesus is saying. But he says, I must preach the good tidings of the kingdom in other cities as well. Notice he says, I must do this. I, am, I have an urgency about me. I must do this. I'm constrained to do this. The Heavenly Father is compelling me to do this. Luke 19, 1 through 10 Jesus, of course, encounters Zacchaeus in that tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down from here, from there, because I must come to your house today. I must do this. I've got some things to say to you. And after this occasion, it's recorded, Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. By the way, Matthew 16, 21 says, Jesus must suffer. He must be crucified. He must be raised on the third day. 
There was a divine order of things, and Jesus was paying very careful attention to that when Joseph and Mary come and inquire of him why he had brought so much distress to their lives. This is a godly principle for godly mothers. As we trek along in our families, there's got to be goals, and there's got to be one central goal. And that's one central goal is stated in Hebrews 5, 11, and 12. For when the time where you ought to be teachers, you have need again that one teach you the fundamental principles of the gospel of Jesus. But that's our goal there. The apostle states it for us. It goes right in line with what Jesus is communicating here in Luke 2. The goal for our children, the goal of every mom is for each of her children to be involved in sharing the gospel in one way or another. And I know it's a heavy task. I know it's a lot to say. But we're praying for you and we're urging you to get it done. I watched a movie one time based on the coaching of of Paul Bear Bryant. And it showed one game where in the first half, the opposing quarterback, who was an all-star... He was having his way with the Crimson Tide. He was running. He was passing. He was scoring touchdowns. And they get to the locker room at halftime. And they show in this movie, they show what the coach says. And so the coach begins to brag about that opposing quarterback. All that he has done all year long. All that he's done in the first half. And then he looked at his team. He said, stop him. Stop him. That's all he said. Stop him. They went out in the second half and they stopped him. They found a way to stop him. We understand that the Lord is placing a tremendous responsibility upon parents, especially upon godly mothers. All we can say is, we're praying for you, but get it done. Get it done. Focus on your own need for salvation. Understand that God's spiritual family is number one. I understand that the Lord puts us under a, under a divine constraint to make soul winners in our homes. Get it done. Principle number four, as we quickly move along, is to make decisions with God's will in mind, of course. Just one example, going all the way back to these three widows who are sitting there looking at each other. The widow's names, Naomi. Ruth and Orpah. And Naomi is giving some very practical, earthbound advice to her daughters in laws. She's saying, Go on back to Moab. Go on back to Moab. I have nothing for you here. She said, I'm too old to have a husband. I'm really too old to have children. But even if I had both those things, it wouldn't be practical for you to wait around for my boys to grow up if I have boys for them to grow up and then you take them as husbands so going back uh, to your people she was trying to give them some very hometown down to earth earth ridden advice and Orpah does go on back but Ruth clings to her faith she clings to her faith she's going to make a spiritual commitment 
to God and to Naomi, come what may. Come what may. What Ruth is doing, she is making a decision that really runs contrary to her own personal best interest. And she's making a spiritual decision. Now think about this. What if she had gone back to Moab? What if she had gone back and and become friends with a smooth-talking Moab redneck? End up marrying him. Instead of this godly man Boaz, what would she have missed out on? Everything. And before you knew it, Ruth and her decision, they had a little boy. Before you knew it, she's in the very lineage of Jesus Christ. Look what she would have missed out on. Now she couldn't see all this. When she told Naomi there in Ruth chapter 1, 16 and 17... Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die is where I'm going to die. Your people is going to be my people. And your God is going to be my God. She couldn't see what was ahead of her. She didn't know she would end up being in the lineage of Christ. But she made her decision based on the will of God. And not on her own personal, physical best interest. And God blessed her. That's a principle for godly moms. Godly moms need to remember that to do as the Lord would have you to do, you have to give up a lot of glamour. You have to give up a lot of this world's goods. But still, the Lord will bless you. The final principle this morning is that courage is a quality of the heart. We go back to Mary, John 19, 25. And there, standing by the cross, is his mother, Mary. Courage is a quality of the heart. It's not a quality of your surroundings. How do I get to be a person who does not or is not driven by fear? You follow such examples as Mary. Think about her surroundings there at the foot of the cross. What is she hearing? She's hearing a lot of wailing of some men who are dying. What does she smell? What does she see? This little boy who has been in her home And it just wasn't all that long ago, just a few years ago, he was in her home every day. He's now losing his life in the most gruesome way on the cross. But she's there. How many of you could have been there if you were his mother? She's showing an incredible amount of courage. And it's because it was a quality of the heart She had something inside of her that was greater than what was on the outside in the world. What is inside of us makes all the difference. What is about us shouldn't make any difference. John says it in 1 John 4 and verse 4. He that is within you is greater than the one who is in the world. Mary 
had treasured these things up in her heart, Luke 2.19, Luke 2.51, when the shepherds came, when Jesus was born, and they told of their encounter with the angels and how the angels pointed them to the Lord Jesus and they came at, at manger time there. It says Mary treasured these things in her heart. A mom is in charge of the treasury department at home. A mom treasures the eternal truths in her heart. And from that, she derives a tremendous amount of courage. And courage that will take you to the foot of the cross. There are so many things. Like I told you, I, I'm very nervous about this because there are so many tremendous, powerful principles. But just to notice these maybe will be encouragement to us. And that is that a mom must seek salvation for herself, express that to her family. That God's spiritual family takes precedence over any physical family. That Jesus' work of salvation is the number one work for us all. That we must make our decisions based on the will of God. And we must have courage. And remember that courage is a quality of the heart. Now, we've mentioned Mary several times this morning. How many words did Mary say? She didn't say too much. We have her there in Luke 2 and Jesus got separated. It may be that her final words are found in John 2 when they were, Jesus and Mary were invited to a wedding, a wedding feast, and they run short of wine. Mary comes to Jesus and says they've, they've, they've run out of wine. Jesus says to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? Mine hour has not yet come. Mary understood what Jesus was doing. He was putting some distance between him and his mom. Not in an uncaring way, but in a necessary way. So that the world may know that he is the Son of God. And notice her last words. John 2 verse 5. She looked to everybody at the feast. She said, whatever he says for you to do, do it. That may be Mary's last words. I'm not completely up, completely up on that, but that may be Mary's final words that she ever spoke while she was on this earth. Wouldn't that be wonderful for anyone? If that was your legacy, wouldn't that be great to... To know that that would be my final words. To be able to look around at people in the room before I draw my last breath and say, whatever the Lord says to do, do it. Can you think of any greater advice to give as you're about to leave this earth and go to Abraham's bosom? So this morning we are challenged by these examples of godly mothers. We're challenged by God himself. If you would love to come home to God, become part of his spiritual family, or perhaps just come back to him and start walking with him once again, we invite you to do that. just that. Will you come right now as we stand together as we sing?